our lie from the empire of lies. It's time for a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. So we made you a Friday, right, Rod? Yes, we did, Lee. Thank God. How are you feeling? Well, I'm good, thanks. And Elon gave us a nice Thursday night, though. A new Twitter files dump. Although it was not as devastating as the first one, I think. Because there was no government involvement. Did that make sense, Rod? Yeah, and I think uh, Elon's took in the uh, WikiLeaks uh, strategy and he's doing the drip, drip, drip. Yes, also, by the way, Andrew Breitbart's strategy, who taught that to James O'Keefe, who's perfected it. And uh, Elon, let's talk about that Twitter files leak. But let's talk about the show first. Great show today on a Friday. First off, in the first hour, Comrade Missy, Missy Winston, will be joining us to talk about the Assange event tomorrow and other things, including Elon Musk on Twitter. And then in the second hour, our friend Ted Rawl will be joining us from an island off the coast of America a small island off the coast of America. And uh, as a great, finished through a great week. Did you notice what happened this morning, by the way, in the EU? There's a hearing in actually in Holland, to be specific. It was about the EU, but it was in Holland. Did you see who had a hearing this morning? No, I missed that, Lee. Okay, here's a, here's a hint. You'll get it right away. He was a recent guest of ours. Is that Mr. Ike? Yes, indeed. David Ike, as he talked about in the interview with me, is currently banned from 26 countries. Now, you've heard David Ike. Does he seem like a, an angry person? I was just actually listening to him uh, a couple hours ago. No, he's very, he's very calm. He, he seems nice, actually, doesn't he? He's a, yeah, he's very matter of fact. Okay, he's banned from 26 countries, and I'm going to say, EU, you're right to do that. David Icke is one of the guys who's exposing the thing that makes you possible. So, in a sense, I think the EU is onto something. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, he's dangerous for the status quo. I mean, we just played that clip of the of uh, that was a EU Parliament member, I believe. I, I didn't catch his name. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, he was just making pretty putting it out there that the EU is the opposite of what it's supposed to stand for. It's very anti-democratic. Yes, and 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 as opposed to the Twitter files last night. Do do me a favor, Rod. I, I gotta say this part. We are taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Now take us to the boom, and we'll talk to you. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. So what what I was going to say is, the one thing I didn't like about the Twitter files thing is they talked about two people, Charlie Kirk and Dan Bongino, being suppressed and shadow banned, and files show that they were shadow banned. 
or they had their visibility limited, or they had them, you know, what they did with Bongino was they said that any topic he talks about, I think, cannot trend. Was that him or, or did they do another trick with him? I believe that was, uh, was Bongino. Yes. So the thing I don't like about that, you know, I don't like Dan and it's not personal, although I kind of personally don't like him, too. I've never met him, but he seems like, first off, have you noticed his head looks like a Lego toy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got a, I think, I think that's the first time I heard it that way, Lee. So, uh, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a Lego head. A friend of mine put, pointed that out. He's a Lego head. And for sure, he looks like that. He just seems like a guy who'd be irritating at a bar. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, I, I, I can see where you come from that, where you get that point of view from. Yeah, I see, I see that. And he's sort of Simeon looking. Is very lowbrow and so on. But uh, I also don't like him professionally because, first off, he blocked me and then started insulting me. If you, if you do that and you're not a wussy, the way to do it is insult me and then maybe if I'm a real jerk to you, block me. But he did the thing, you see, block me and then talk crap about me. And that, to me, is a worse move. Rod, what say you? Yeah, especially with the whole social media thing. You know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a comment and people immediately block me and then talk about me. Not, not that I'm on your level, Lee, but it's just like, come on, you know, uh, being an adult, especially, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not talking to children or little teenagers. I'm talking to another adult, uh, someone in some type of profession. And, you know, they immediately block you. It's just childish or it just shows, exposes how controlled they are. And they, you know, if they're controlled, they can't you know, f speak freely. And the kind of thing that he insults me with is that I work with Sputnik. That to him is an insult. So I don't like, you know, I'm glad that your file stuff is out, but I think it gave Bongino a little too much independent cred because he's a guy that basically does not challenge the narrative on anything regarding Russia. And I pointed out, that he has actually pro promoted Bill Browder's story in his books on Russiagate, right? Have you, have you seen that for yourself, Ron? Yeah, I remember, I remember when that happened on Twitter uh, a couple years ago, Lee, uh, when you were still on fault lines and Twitter was different. I mean, I've, you, you know, uh, Twitter's changed. You could say over every year it's gotten, you know, more censorship algorithms changed. But I remember that. And that just shows he's controlled by Fox and, uh, you know, I don't even think he goes on Tucker either. You see him, Hannity, and uh, people like that, certain people who don't go on Tucker. But, you know, Lindsey Graham, will t he'll talk to someone like Lindsey Graham. So that shows you, you know, what, what circle he runs in. Bongino seems like Hannity's wingman to harass women at a bar on a, you know, ladies' night or something like that. It, they seem to have similar personalities. Although I have met Sean Hannity personally, and he was nice. To me, briefly, we had a brief conversation and he was pleasant, but I don't like Bongino getting independent cred. Now, I guarantee you, I am shadow banned. But see, if they had brought me up and they said Lee Stranahan, Russian media asset was shadow banned, a lot of people, 
including possibly Elon Musk, would go, so am I right that I would be insulted for my proximity to Russia? The fact that I work for Russian-funded media, who does not control me. And by the way, if they want to start controlling us, fine, because it would mean less work for us, Rod. If they want to book all our guests, you know, that's okay. But uh, gave us some people in the, the Duma, the Russian parliament, get us those guests. But uh, obviously, you work in the show. You know we're not, not only controlled, we're not even hardly suggested, and never by Russia, the Russian government. Right, Rod? Yeah, no, that's that's truly. And, uh, you know, I try to uh, reach out to, uh, I think his name's Sam uh, or Aaron. I can't name I don't know. I can't remember his name right now. The African reporter who uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre keeps from disrespecting and that doesn't allow yep. us. She has, she has, a, she has a, a chip on her shoulder against Africa. And it, it's, it's, it's funny that the black media does not want to touch it. This woman disrespects Africa at every turn, openly, <laughs> openly. She just shuts off the mics and I'm out of here. Now, that's very interesting because that's another one of those uh, black cultural things that I don't completely, I, I understand it intellectually. But it seems that there's some, what do you think that's based on? Is it based on, do you think, I think it might be based on the LGBT thing. My guess uh, is, but, but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's one thing I would definitely say. Yeah, you're right. That I didn't even think about that. That is definitely one thing. You know, most countries in Africa are very against that, um, against the LGBT anything. Um, so that would be number one. But number two, she has a different background. I know she's Haitian, but she grew up in France, I believe. So I think she's just her upbringing, and she's some. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can, if you look into her uh, past, she's probably done a lot of interviews, and she, I'm, I'm pretty sure she disparages a lot of african nation uh, african countries well let's play the clip why don't we we have a clip of catherine Jean-Pierre uh dissing an african reporter again so hit it can you take a question on the u.s african summit can, 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 why is it so hard to take a question on the u.s africa summit when the president is in 50 african leaders the biggest garden of leaders of his administration why is it hard for you to give me a question it is not hard i've answered i've would you let me answer the question or are you get okay okay i i'm trying to answer your question go ahead sir go ahead i just tried you would let me go ahead i just tried and you would not let me sir so your colleague is going to ask a question go ahead no i just i literally just tried to answer your question you shut me down so now your colleague is going to okay thanks everybody i'll see you tomorrow She's very unhappy. She went to powder her nose, I think, after that press conference. Because she's kind of, is it fair to say, verbally, she stormed away from the podium? Rod? Oh, yeah. And again, this is audio. We can't see on visual. But she gives <clears throat> she gives a look to this man, like, you know, like a F you look. You know what I mean? She would have did the opposite of, remember when Bush got the, the, the shoe th shown, the foot, I mean, the shoe thrown at him she would have took her heel off and threw it at him that's that's the look she kind of gives him now uh the, the the other thing we're going to talk about today is that christian cinema the senator from arizona who's notably bisexual 
I, and I say that because other people have known it. I don't care. But other people have insulted Christian cinema being bisexual. And bisexuals a lot of times are unpopular with gay people. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's noticeable. Yeah. And so we'll talk about that. But she has become independent. She's no longer a Democrat. And she made a big to do of it. But I think there's a lot of significant things. But even though she's bisexual, Rod, if I say this, don't giggle like a schoolgirl. She's going to be caucusing with the Democrats. Now, now don't, don't laugh. Because caucusing does not mean what you think it means. Okay, Rod? Yeah, no, I got you. I got you, Lee. <laughs> okay. It, it was a, a lot of restraint on your part. Let's go to the calls. 202-521-1320. The killer of owls. Owl killer. I'm about to do a page for you on my website. A dedicated owl killer with the owl killer art that I've done. What's as on your mind? As, the, as long as the owl is not in a good position, I, I'm down with it. I'll back it. Um, yeah, no, that I want to hit on the uh, the Charlie Kirk Bongino stuff, but no, it, it, you want to hit on Charlie Kirk? Are you making an announcement here? You want to caucus with him? <laughs> Charlie Kirk. You know okay. what's funny? You, you know, you know what's funny about that. Well, hold on, I'll get to them in a second. Yeah, Jean Pierre, uh, Christina Jean Pierre, whatever her name is, she doesn't like the African reporters. Yeah, I was. You took the word rot. You took the word right out of my mouth. It's because they don't tolerate. It's not only that they don't. They're really against the promotion of homosexuality, regardless of how people feel about it. They, they meaning a lot of African countries. Yeah, and but their leaders, they take a stand. They don't. It, it, that that stuff doesn't work. You can't. It's for some reason they have an obsession with exporting it in Latin America and in Africa, and it doesn't. It it's taken over some countries like in uh, Colombia, um, but it doesn't. It doesn't play well in countries like Brazil. It doesn't play well in countries like Kenya or Nigeria, they don't want that over there. And I think because of that, and our, our, our foreign aid has been tied to that numerous times. Um, and they, I've, I've told you, I, I've brought up the Kenyan president several times where he says that is not part of our culture. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, it comes down to um, and she knows where those reporters stand. Their countries wouldn't send them over there if they weren't represent, uh, basically representatives of the culture, in a sense, because other countries don't want to be embarrassed by the people that they send, because reporters are basically like, uh, a representation of your country. So they don't, they don't, they're not going to send somebody that they would think would be an embarrassment to their culture. And that's clearly why, um, that, that, you know, she gives them a hard time. But also, they seem to be asking the hard questions. They they seem to be asking questions. Hey, what's going yes, on? What, that's what another what factor. That's what it is. Is that they'll ask questions about? Hey, is this Ukraine war really worth the American tax dollars? Look what it's doing to the rest of the world. What about Fauci? What about uh, the lab in uh, Wuhan uh, bio, biological weapons lab? So they ask questions. 
that derive that go off script. It's the the Democrats run a very very good script um, in terms of who they let talk and the questions they let be asked. But I, I think it's that they bring up issues that other people want, but um, the other that the the world wants to hear about. Now going to uh, your boy Dan Bongino, you know. I, I told you, if, um, I've told you in the past, Dan Bongino is always on Hannity because they have the same agent. Now, you'll remember that Dan Bongino got big because Alex Jones had him on back in the day. Same thing with Candace Owens, um, Charlie Kirk, same thing with Jack Posobiec. They all cut their teeth going on Alex Jones. And when nobody wanted to hear from Dan Bongino, um, you know, he was... He was going. On, he was going on Alex Jones' show, exposing some of the things he. Well, when he was a failed congressional candidate several times, even before that, even before. Okay, that. You, you, and you're right. You're exactly right. People have used Alex Jones because the, I've never been on Fox, and I never will be. I expect, but I've been on Alex Jones. People who couldn't get on Fox were getting on Alex. But once they start getting on Fox, they dump Alex, you know. And have you noticed that to Alex Killer? Oh, yeah, because they're told that I, they, I'm sure they get the speech of, you're, you know, you're not allowed to spread. You know, you've now you're in the big leagues. You're above the you, you know, you're above Alex Jones of the conspiracy crowd. And if you want to keep getting the big bucks, you want to keep getting the book deals. You know, you want to keep getting the sponsor placement then you're going to stick to the script. And with Dan Bongino, he is, Dan Bongino is one of the more dangerous people. I, I don't think anybody takes uh, Hannity serious, but just, just think about with Dan Bongino. Now he gets this false street cred that look, oh, Twitter was, was, uh, was uh, uh, censoring him. So now people are like, oh, wow, he really is uh, somebody that, you know, is really against the system. But, I mean, like, the, the new thing that they've adopted is deep state. That That is, like, the extent of where they're going. It's like this new discovery that is allowed to be talked about on Fox News and can be talked about on uh, Dan Bongino. So now the real cutting-edge thing is the deep state and the bad actors in our government. In our in our government, not all the FBI, not all the CIA, 99 percent of the boots on the ground. You know, you'll you, you'll hear the same thing parroted repeatedly. And then, you know, and, and then they have the you know, the L- let me say let me say this too. specifically the thing that he didn't bring up and why he started insulting me is people pointed out to him. He put out two books on Russiagate. OK, Spygate and what whatever Spygate two. He put I'm out sure two books. He told them to put them out. He did not mention the following right. person one time in his books. And I bought them, and I have the books, because I want to research what he said and what he didn't say. He did not bring up Strobe Talbot and Brookings Institution. Strobe Talbot, Bill Clinton's Oxford roommate, and the head of the Brookings Institution. And we know Darshenko worked at Brookings and do you know how else worked your Brookings? I just heard Baker. Baker, James Baker. That's exactly right. Former FBI counsel who was hired by Brookings and then became the Twitter person. So I, people were like, Dan, 
Lee does good work on Russiagate. Why don't you bring up a stroke Talbot? You should ask him about it. Now, if he was an honest person, he would go, well, let me ask this guy. And he'd find out that everything I reported was 100% true. He was Bill Clinton's Oxford roommate in 1969. And Strobe Talbot was significant because his wife, Brooke Talbot, was an assistant in the 92 campaign to Hillary Clinton. And uh, Brooke Talbot's maiden name was Brooke Scherer. And she's part of the Scherer dossier. Yep. The, the, the Cody Scherer wrote the first dossier. That's acknowledged. So by leaving out Strobe Talbot, you miss a lot of the story. Does that make sense? And he's, yeah, he's never apologized. He, it was that issue that he didn't mention Strobe Talbot at all. And I said, why don't you mention Strobe Talbot? He never answered. He said, you work for Russia. <laughs> Vladimir, yeah, that, that's all. They, that, that is their response is Vladimir Putin, the rabbit ear mutant. No, that, that is their response to everything is Russia and Putin. And that's what I mean, why, why he's dangerous, right? Because he is now, he's looked at as he's an off branch of the conservative where He's the guy that, uh, you know, he's really on top of things. And, you know, censor was even, or Twitter was even censoring him. But when you, he'll, he repeatedly will say, and, you know, Russia's not our friend. Putin is not a good guy. He's a bad guy. He's had a lot of people killed. There's somebody like him is selling the war to the, to the, to the right. And what their hopes are. Exactly right. that people will buy into it because he's on other other stuff that they like. It, it's almost it, it's a poison pill. They give you something. They, they give you something that's good, but inside, it, you know, it's going to kill you at the, at the end of it. And so th- that that is why people like him are so dangerous. I would rather have a clown like uh, like a Sean Hannity. You you can you know Sean you know where Sean Hannity stands. You know what I mean? Like you know he's a He's a straight rhino. He, you know, he's he, every look who he has on his show. Lindsey Graham. Also, um, also, I'll say this about Bungino. I believe that Bill Browder got to him personally because he said some stuff that, and we know for a fact Bill Browder is a Fox News loves Browder. I think Fo- Why? Because. No, partially why is because Fox News and Murdoch funded the Magnitsky Act. Yep. So that was Bill Browder's pet cause. But Dan Bongino knows that Fox News loves Bill Browder. So he gets especially angry when I say, why don't you call him Bill Browder? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, he won't. Whether it was Murdoch or it was Browder personally, it, it's the same thing. It's they are, and you know why they won't bring up Strove Talbot or uh, Cody Shear? Why he won't bring them up? Because then you got to look at what happened in the nineties, and then you, you got that, that's why they will not bring them up. Then you, you got to see 
it'll take you right back into, you know, the, the CIA being over there, you know, propping up Boris Yeltsin and, you know, basically robbing uh, Russia of their natural resources. That's why they don't want to go over there, because they don't want you to see the origin. They don't want uh, of where everything comes from. And then all the it'll take you right into Kordakowski, Kordakowski. And then, you know, then stuff starts becoming just too obvious to you. So if you cut those people out, you never get there. It's like, and and Kordakowski gets you to the Carlisle group and, and uh, Rothschild. so and on. Then, and then Biden and then Obama and McCain. And it's it's why I don't like the shallow narratives on Russiagate. Even people who get Russiagate right, they know that Russiagate's a load of BS. That's what I mean by get it right. If but they, they take only, a shallow narrative. But they only get it right and, because they want to back Trump. That it, It's not about what really happened. It's Trump is our guy. It becomes a Trump defense rather than, okay, let's look at this entire thing. But Al Killer, great call. I got to move along only for time reasons because Misty's on the line. So I got to a short break, but great call as usual. A big part of our backstory community of callers, Al Killer. Great job. Let's take a short break, Rod. And when we come back, Misty Winston will be with us. And we'll be talking initially about Assange on the backstory. on the backstory at Washington, D.C., on your radio at 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joining us now, great friend of the show and all-around fun person, Comrade Missy, Missy Winston. Hey, Missy, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing really good. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, too. So let's talk about the Assange event going on this weekend. Let's start with that. Yeah, so um, tomorrow, uh, December 10th, is International Human Rights Day. Um, So, of course, you can expect a lot of really hypocritical tweets from, you know, (laughs) some of the worst offenders. Um, But because it is International Human Rights Day, uh, the Assange community is holding events all across the globe um, in uh, solidarity and in support of Julian Assange. Um, So there's events taking place in the U.S. in Tulsa, Seattle, uh, Denver, D.C., and Boston, I think, are the ones that are listed. Um, But there's also events taking place in Rio and London and in Australia and all over the place. Um, So my friend Alex Hills runs a really uh, great Twitter feed called Candles for Assange. It's the number four. Um, And she has her pinned tweet is the uh, full list of, I think it's 31 cities now that are holding events. You can go to her Twitter page and see if there's an event happening near you. And so, first off, I'm I'm so happy that the activism for Assange is continuing to not only continue, but growing. It's not yes. only continuing, but growing. I, are you seeing that, Missy? And I think that's part of what pressured the New York Times yes. and other media organizations who've not said something. So talk about the importance of activism. 
Yeah, the, I think that you're absolutely right. I think that um, in particular since the, the uh, when he was pulled out of the Ecuadorian embassy on April 11th, 2019, um, I have seen a really significant increase in um, support and in curiosity about the case. Um, and it just keeps continuing to grow, uh, which is really good to see. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think that uh, a huge part of the reason why we are seeing mainstream organizations like the New York Times and The Guardian and Der Spiegel and Le Monde and El Pais, uh, who were the five publishing partners uh, for Cablegate uh, 12 years ago, I think that we're now starting to see that kind of mainstream shift um, because of the work of activists all over the globe who have been absolutely relentless in uh, trying to shift the narrative and trying to combat the misinformation that's out there about the Assange case. Um, and we're really starting to see the fruits of that labor now, I think. So also, let me thank you personally, because I put out a resource recently, 150 portraits of Julian Assange yes. that I made available free for people. And so thanks for mentioning that in Twitter. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks it. for doing it. Yeah, of course. Well, my, we thinking, my thinking was anybody who blogs or writes about Assange, Basically, if you look for images of him, there's like five that everyone uses. Yeah. Does that make sense? The, the same yeah. pictures over and over. And uh, I wanted to create, when I saw the AI art technology and that they could recreate a person because they were all AI art created, uh, yeah. I said, what a great opportunity. And I yeah. chose to. And uh, it basically to make it easy for everyone to do activism, because you shouldn't have to look for a new image to use. No, no. Does that make sense? And of course. And they're really they're really beautiful images, too, which I think is great. And unfortunately, uh, since his uh, arrest and being pulled out of the Ecuadorian embassy, there's only been two other images uh, since then leaked out. There was, uh, well, I mean, I guess two images in a very brief video. Um, there was the image that was taken of him while he was sitting in court behind the weird uh, plexiglass panel that they created just for him. Um, and then there was also exactly the... Right. Yeah. Yeah, there was the photo of him when that it turns out he was in the middle of a mini stroke that was leaked out as well. And then there's also the one video um, that was taken while he was inside the prison van. And ever since that video was taken, every time he's transported now from Belmarsh to the court, uh, they have um, uh, curtains on the, the the prison van. So nobody can ever get any pictures or video of him anymore. So, uh, yeah, we are uh, in, nope. in desperate need of, of photos and videos of Julian Assange. And uh, I designed the images when some of them, I very specifically, I took pictures of him when he was younger, mm -hmm. in his prime, and, you know, various looks. His hair's changed over time. You know, he said yeah. shorter, he said longer. But I chose those pictures on purpose because I wanted to present him, you know, the way people remember him. Yes. And... Uh, I also very specifically made a number of pictures where he's outdoors at the beach or something like that. Not yeah. that that's realistic, but I want people to see him free. Yes. I wanted them to think about Assange free. Does that make sense, yeah. Missy? Yeah, 100%. I think that that's a really powerful image to put out there because 
this is a guy who has in some form or another, some form or other, been incarcerated or in, detained for 12 years now. Um, it was just yesterday that was the 12-year anniversary, I think. So, um, you know, this is somebody who has had his freedom taken from him for over 12 years for just publishing the truth. So I think putting those images out there that show him in a space of freedom, I think, is really powerful because, I mean, that's what we're all fighting for, right? Yeah, exactly right. And as I pointed out when I was at Belmarsh, because it, it really struck me, uh, this is a person. Assange is not a symbol. You can, right. Yes, he is. He is a symbol. But beyond that, he's a human being. And I yeah. think it's important for people to remember that. And uh, I also made sure not to, you know, what what would what what would have been popular with a certain number of people. It's like Assange with a U.S. flag. No. Does it make sense? A lot yeah. of people like that. But I didn't do that because I wanted to have nothing that was inconsistent with his beliefs. And I'm yeah. not saying he's anti-American, but I'm not saying he's a patriot, rah-rah, you know, or, or Assange in a MAGA hat. Nothing like that. Right. No, uh, no, that would have been that would have been a terrible idea. Um, because you're right, he it, Julian Assange is not a partisan. He's not. He doesn't have. I mean, as much as he is an Australian, obviously, and he uh, I think loves his country. I don't want to speak for him, uh, but I think he is very kind of um, uh, a free agent. I think he really is just on the side of the people, on the side of truth, no matter what that is or where it comes from. Um, or who that serves. And so I think, you know, kind of associating him with a certain country or a certain ideology, um, it, you're right. I think that that's, that would would have been a, a big mistake. It's just not who he is or, or what he stands for. So, um, and especially, you know, given that the United States is who is currently persecuting him, um, you know, I think that, that yeah, I, I'm glad that you stayed away from that. Yeah, exactly right. And and they would have been popular with some people. Yes, no, for sure. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Right? Assange wearing a MAGA hat in front of a U.S. flag would have, a lot of people would like that. Yes. But that is a made-up image that I do not want to do because it's not consistent with his beliefs. And I want to no. re show respect for the work he's done. For sure. So, and I think that that's really important to remain consistent with who he is, because I think that um, and because so often he is the, that's used as a smear against him from liberals um, that he helped Trump get elected. Right. That he helped Russia to get Trump elected. I think that that would have been uh, more detrimental than helpful, for sure, despite the fact that it probably would have been popular with a lot of MAGA people. Um, I don't think Julian Assange is not a MAGA person. He's not a Trump supporter. I mean, he's been very open about that. Um, so yeah, I think good call on staying away from that, despite the fact that it would have been, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would have really been into that. Right. No, that's exactly right. And that's why, you know, I'd rather have Assange against a brick wall or whatever. Yeah. Agreed. It's Keep neutral. It neutral. And also, yep. as my girlfriend pointed out, Assange is easy on the eyes. Assange, let, let's face it, Julian Assange is a good-looking person. So a lot of the images just captured that. Does that make yes. sense, Missy? Yeah, 100%. I think especially he has um, he has really striking eyes. 
Um, and I think, yes. and my mom has said this as well. I had my friend, um, uh, I commissioned her to paint a, a, a portrait of him. Um, and my mom saw it and she was like, oh, he has such nice eyes. Like you, he just has a really nice face, like a, a really warm face. And I think that that's really accurate. Um, I don't know him personally, so I don't, I can't speak to like his personality, but I think that, yes, you're right. He, um, uh, you know, he is a good looking guy and I think he's got really striking eyes. And I think that that really, um, grabs people's attention when they're first seeing images of him. And, and that's why the, the way it works was I fed the AI 15 images of Assange. So when I say I picked, you know, in his prime, what I mean is the images that I fed, if I had fed him all recent pictures with a beard and so on, they would have spit out a version of Assange based on that. But right. you feed the AI images. The way it works is you give it images. So I picked ones, various hair length and various, you know, his facial hair change yes. over time. And I want to have a variety of those looks. But the thing that struck me, a lot of the, the, is exactly what you said. He has great eyes. Yes. And the AI actually does a very good job of reproducing people's eyes and the little expressions around the brows. Does it make sense? You know, yeah, people definitely. smile and their brows wrinkle and yep. AI is very good at that. Yeah, and so, no, and they all came out and, really good. I mean, you can you can really see the kind of nuances in the facial expressions, which I think is really cool to see. Um, and, you know, they all, the fact that you were smart enough to, uh, I'm glad that you chose a, a variety of different images, because like you said, um, you know, to kind of evade being followed and all of that stuff. He has changed his hair and his facial hair uh, numerous times over the years. Uh, but what never changes is those eyes. Yes, no, no. And, and you know, his his hair broadly, you know, there's a, and also, but Assange, I wanted to give the, because here's the thing, a lot of activism, I think you'll agree, but if you don't, Feel free to disagree. A lot of activism is simple stuff, blocking yeah. and tackling, making lists, having people's phone numbers, having material to produce activist material, having yep. stuff like the pictures handy. If you don't have to produce that picture yourself, you can take a picture that I've created or that I made available. I didn't really create them. AI did. But, right. Uh, you took you the know, time to do that. that. You know what I mean? That's your work. Like that's as much as AI created it. But yes, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think most activism, most effective activism is incredibly simple. Um, it doesn't have to be this huge grand gesture, this very loud maniacal rally or whatever. Um, a lot of activism is just writing an email or making a phone call or hanging up a flyer or, you know, those very simple things. Um, and especially in particular with Assange activism, because we are combating a huge media blackout that is just now starting to break. But over the course of the past 12 years, there's been a huge media blackout. Just getting information out to people is, um, you know, really the task at hand because so many people don't even know who Assange is. And further, they don't know how what's happening to him affects their lives. Um, so having those images and having those, you know, those flyers to hang up or whatever, it, it needs to be attention grabbing. Um, and so, you know, being able to to uh, take one of those many images that you created and throw that on a flyer or on like a handout or whatever that we can take to rallies, that's going to be really impactful. And so, 
the other thing that I did was the a lot of the images are very high resolution, so you could print it, or they're also 16 by 9, which gives room to put a quote or that kind of thing on there. Yeah, but, yes. Uh, and Assange has a certain, I think you'll agree, rock star actor quality. <laughs> yeah. Part of it's easy on the eyes things. But Hollywood and journalism at one point was treating Assange like a rock star. Like yes. a, right? Disney yeah. made a film about Assange. And Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch played Assange. Yeah, he does have that rock star quality. I think it's the uh, the rebelliousness and the kind of. I mean, he. If you think about him, if you think about him, uh, realistically, he is kind of the rock star of journalism, right? He's not. He's not your everyday average journalist. He is the guy. I mean, he revolutionized the way journalism is done. He created this whole new system. Um, he dealt only with wiki or with whistleblowers to, um, you know, make WikiLeaks this kind of really um, it, it just kind of. It, seismic shift in the way that we think about journalism. This, I mean, because what WikiLeaks does, it's not, there's no opinion. It's not conjecture. It's just the facts. It is 100% verifiable, authenticated source documentation that is published for you to read and decide what you want to take from it. Um, and that's never been done before. And so, I mean, if you think about it in those terms, he really is kind of a rock star, right? Yeah, no, that's right. And also, if you're, I'd say, 30 or below, you never knew that Assange. You never right. knew the popular, respected Assange. Does that make sense? Yeah, because, I mean, since then, I mean, in 2010, 2011, when, you know, Cablegate and the Iraq and Afghanistan war logs and the Guantanamo files and all of that stuff was coming out, um, I mean, conservatives weren't big fans of him, really. I mean, some saw the value in what he was doing, but they were also angry about the fact that he was kind of exposing a lot of what their side was doing. Um, but I can remember him giving a TED Talk in a room full of liberals and getting a standing ovation. Um, and like you said, movies were made about him and he was on and people wanted to interview him and talk to him. And, uh, you know, when he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, you know, hundreds, thousands of people would gather outside the balcony to hear him give a speech. Um, and, you know, you're right. That's kind of a, a long forgotten uh, uh, era of the Assange uh, experience, because uh, since he entered into the Ecuadorian embassy, he was, I mean, just uh, silenced uh, kind of slowly but surely. And then once they were able to pull him out of the Ecuadorian embassy and throw him into Belmarsh and uh, like I said, there's not even there's been two pictures that have had to be leaked. They weren't even provided. They've just been leaked. His wedding wasn't allowed to be photographed. Um, and there's been no video. He is essentially being disappeared from public consciousness. Yeah, and th that is, you know, it's it's hard to build support for him when people yeah when people know him and like him, at least you know a little, know him and like his personality, what he stands for. That's the first step to my mind. And I really urge people to blog or do social media stuff with the yes. notion of informing people basic stuff. If you're an Assange activist, I'm not picking in a new entity, but I think you'd agree with me on this. If the biggest thing that people can do now is basic stuff. Who is doing yeah. Assange? Because I talk to a lot of people who say, who? Who yep. is that picture of? Who is that guy? Yeah. yeah. 
you're absolutely right. And I think that that's, again, that, that also, again, speaks to the, uh, A, the power of propaganda and the smear campaign that's been launched against him. But also, like I said, the, the blackout, I mean, it, most people, like, like I said, most, the average American citizen, um, either doesn't know who Julian Assange is at all. They don't have a clue or they vaguely know who he is. They might be like, Oh, that guy that helped Trump or, Oh, the guy that does the leaks or, but they don't really know who he is or what he stands for, what he's accomplished, what he's done. They have no idea about what he's exposed and the numerous, I mean, just millions of documents. Again, 100% verified, authenticated source documentation of crimes and corruption from governments and corporations the world over. Most people don't have a clue about any of that. And if they know anything about him, it's some uh, ridiculous smear that they've heard repeated on, you know, Rachel Maddow or, you know, one of the other mainstream media sources that have been smearing him for years. Um, and so, yes, it is. I think you're, you're absolutely right right now. Um, and that's what I've been telling people for years is that it, really just getting the information out and educating people on Assange and the realities of the case, not the, you know, the craziness that, you know, everybody talks about in mainstream press, but the realities about what's happening to him. Um, in my experience, it's very easy to turn people into supporters once they realize what's actually happening and how it affects them. So, uh, and, and here's what the Assange activism community has going for it. We have a good, I'm going to use the term product. It, we're, trying to, we're trying to sell somebody who is heroic. Yes. Good looking. Uh, uh, let me put it like this. He'd be just as heroic if it was fat and dumpy. However, yep. trying to sell that product is a little trickier. Does that make For sense? Sure. So yeah, of course. And I mean, that's just an unfortunate product. reality, right? <laughs> that's an unfortunate reality. Right. Especially for people like me who are fat and dumpy. But uh, Assange is a good, good product. So get out there and sell it. Yeah. Really uh, get as many images as you can on social media and basic info. Now, you said that Tomorrow's what? Human Rights Day? International Human Rights Day, yes. Now, Misty, what does the concept of human rights mean to you? Well, I think it means the, the, and it's so funny to me because, you know, I live in the United States of America. We profess to care about human rights, but in my opinion, I think we're probably one of the worst violators of human rights around the globe. Um, uh, but I think to me, it's just those basic things, the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to freedom, the right to, you know, the basics, the essentials of life, um, uh, and the right to uh, autonomy, you know what I mean? And being able to make decisions for yourself and for your family and all of those things. Um, but I think it's a very broad, um, you know, kind of idea. And I think it probably means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, but it, again, this is just one of those days that to me, I think it's just, it's like a Hallmark holiday, right? It's like Valentine's day. Um, it just gives people an excuse to virtue signal, um, and we're going to see that tomorrow. You're going to see um, people on Twitter and on other social media platforms who are horrendous violators of human rights the world over. Um, and they're going to tweet about how much they love human rights and how, you know, the United States stands for the human rights of people across the world and all this other stuff as we're participating in a genocide in Yemen. Um, so, I mean, it, the, the hypocrisy is always um, entertaining and also depressing uh, to witness on a day like tomorrow. Um, but it does give people um, in activism communities like the Assange community um, to use that as a jumping off point to get 
some attention and some awareness and some support um, on a day like today because I don't think people realize uh, just how many, A, how many human rights violations Julian Assange exposed and then also how many human rights violations have been committed against him over the past 12 years. So talk about that a little bit. Like like what? Um, well, the big one for me, I think, right now is the fact that um, while he was in the Ecuadorian embassy, um, UC Global, which was a Spanish security firm, uh, was co-opted by the CIA and funded by Sheldon Adelson, who was a Trump mega donor. Um, and they essentially were turned into a spying operation in which they spied upon Julian Assange and all of his visitors, including conversations with his legal team. That's a massive violation of his rights. Um, and so people are talking about, oh, well, he should just come to the United States and face a fair trial. He cannot get a fair trial. That's not a thing that exists for him. Uh, I don't think that it ever did, um, but it certainly doesn't now, knowing that the United States government was spying on his conversations with his legal team. Um, I think also uh, we know that uh, through Professor Nils Melzer, who was the former UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, uh, that he's been subjected to psychological torture for over a decade. That's a massive violation of his human rights. He's been deprived of liberty, liberty as I said, for 12 years now. Um, uh, you know, it, it, the things that have been happening to him while he's in Belmarsh, um, you know, a couple winters ago, it was freezing. It was a really bad winter a couple years ago in the UK. Um, and Stella had taken his warm winter clothes uh, to have given to him and they didn't give them to him. He, he was left in a cold uh, prison cell um, and he was uh, insulating his windows with books um, and, and he, they wouldn't give him extra blankets, all of those things. His legal papers were taken from him. Uh, they gave him a laptop with the keys glued down so he cannot uh, effectively participate in his own defense. Um, I mean, there's just numerous examples over the past 12 years of things that have been done to him um, that are just obvious violations of his rights in every way. So, although we talked about it before, Assange is not a MAGA person. I think he does have broad appeal in that the more independent Republicans or libertarians, people on yeah. the right and the left, appreciate Assange. Yes. In particular, libertarians. I have a lot of luck with libertarians, um, which is fantastic. In fact, over this past year, I made it a mission of mine to kind of step outside my own personal political bubble. And in doing so, um, I really connected with a lot of libertarian people like Scott Horton and Clint Russell and Reed Coverdale and um, a bunch of people um, and have built like genuine friendships and relationships with them. And in the libertarian community and in particular, the Libertarian Party nationally, they have been a huge support over this past year. They are always willing to help uh, me share events. Um, or highlight different things or we retweet articles that I think are important. Every time I reach out to them, they are incredibly receptive. Um, they are obviously incredibly supportive. Um, and it's very strange to me because I, I mean, I don't like labeling myself, but I am often lumped in on the left, which is fine. Um, but it, this, this whole issue, this whole free speech and press freedom issue used to be a very solid leftist issue. Like this was a very solid thing that leftists exactly really, right. yes. and it's just not that way anymore. And it's a very depressing shift to see. I mean, obviously I'll take support wherever I can get it. Um, but to see the people who, um, you know, I'm often aligned or, you know, I'm lumped in with or aligned with on other things to see them. Uh, you know, leave this issue, to to leave this issue behind, to throw this issue away, when to me it's maybe the single most important issue um, because it impacts everything else. You can't fight for anything if you can't speak, right? Um, so it doesn't matter what you care about. If you want to fight for anything, you need to be able to have conversations to educate yourself and others. Um, and you can't do that without free speech and press freedom. Um, so to see the left also, kind of just 
throw this away is really depressing. Right. And what, what you brought up earlier, Sheldon Nielsen funding spying on Assange. Yeah. I don't think most Trump supporters know about that. And by the way, well, I don't think uh, most ahead. Trump supporters would agree with it at, at all. No, I, no, I think most Trump, no. Trump supporters don't actually know who Adelson is. Would no, and I think honestly, m most Trump supporters, when I talk to Trump supporters, they'll be like, oh man, yeah, I can't believe Trump didn't pardon Assange. And I'm like, wait a minute, do you guys know that it was he was arrested under Trump? Like that's what Trump had him arrested. Trump, Mike Pompeo, Rick and Rick Rennell. Rick Rennell was a huge contributor to the persecution of Julian Assange. He is now on Twitter today. Yeah. Uh, talking about the stuff that's being leaked about Twitter censoring um, uh, conservatives. And he's like, oh, this is terrible. Free speech, free speech. We got a real journalist should be concerned about this. This is the guy who was instrumental in having Julian Assange arrested. He's a hypocrite of the highest order. Um, and, but a lot of Trump supporters, I don't know if they just mentally blocked that out. They don't want to think about it, that it was under their guy that Julian Assange was arrested. Um, but that's the reality of the situation. Trump had him arrested after using him to his advantage uh, you know, with the the DNC leaks and the Podesta emails, um, he very quickly turned his back on Julian Assange and threw him under a bus and then failed to pardon him. Um, so I think Trump supporters, I, listen, I love you guys. Like, I, I, I'm not here to, like, trash you or whatever. Um, we have our differences. But I think that there, there needs to be a reckoning with that. Everybody needs to come to that realization and realize that Trump is not who he pretended to be. He's not a friend of free speech or press freedom. Um, and it's not just about the failure to pardon him. He's the one that had him arrested. Well, and the, a lot of these people, particularly Pompeo, is proven to be no friend of Trump's at all. No. I, I would say you could make a pro-Trump case against Mike Pompeo very easily. Does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Pompeo I think Trump surrounded Trump surrounded him with a lot of really terrible people. Um, I don't know who uh, was advising him on his choices for these different uh, positions, um, but he really – I don't know if he's just a bad judge of character or if he was led astray, but he surrounded himself with some of the worst of the worst. John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, like just some of the worst people on earth. Um, and so – and Mike Pompeo, I mean, listen, this is a guy who, um, you know, as the CIA director, his first speech was dedicated to destroying Julian Assange because of Vault 7, um, which was the largest CIA leak in history. It came out in March of 2017. Mike Pompeo's first speech as CIA director was in April of 2017, and he dedicated that entire speech to the destruction of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks because it was embarrassing to him that all of that stuff got leaked on his watch. Um, and so it was well, like a personal vendetta <laughs> against Julian Assange. Yes, indeed. And, and people on the right who follow these issues, liberty loving people on the right cared about Vault 7 a lot. Yes. They thought Vault 7 was a big story. Right, yeah. Missy? Yeah, they did. And that's what that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't I'm not trying to, um, you know, trash anybody or make anybody feel stupid or dumb or whatever. Listen, I voted for Barack Obama. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got I got I got Obama. Like, I get it. Like, we all um, have been led astray by political characters, uh, it, you know, every once in a while. Um, but I just it, 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 I think that the right. Um, needs to come to terms with the realities, the realities of Trump. He's not an outsider. Um, he, I mean, in the first Republican debate, he said, "Look, I, I've used this system to my advantage. I bought you. I bought you. I bought you." I mean, he's been an inside game player for a very long time. 
Um, and I think that they're they're good at kind of the presentation of him as some outsider or the, you know, the soap opera that is the the drama that they used to distract us all. Uh, but really, we are on our own and we all need to come together across ideologies. Like I said, I've been reaching out to people outside of my own political bubble um, to raise support and awareness for Julian Assange, because that's how we're going to get stuff done. We have to come together as a people and really, I mean, we we can't. Um, we can't have the disagreements that we have until we deal with the system that's designed to kill us all. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I think increasingly a lot of people on the left and the right are seeing that. And yes. Assange, the Assange community is the place where all of that comes together. I've noticed yeah. that the Assange community is really peace central and yes. freedom of speech central. So great to pair parents, Missy. Thanks so much. You have a nice weekend, okay? Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Lee. Have a good one. Great. Great job. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about more stuff, Christensen and Elon Musk, and other stuff on The Backstory. Back on the backstory, the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Strand, and this is the backstory. So I thought the the great appearance by Comrade Misty. What did you think, Rod? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Misty. We do have to start reaching against uh, across across the political aisles, and we have to come come together. Sure. And obviously, you know, uh, I support Assange, and he's, uh, you know, he is a hero. He's done something that's, you know, I mean, how much, what, 12 years of his life now has been taken away from him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's very important, too, that people on the right and the left think about their activism a little bit and try to be active for Assange in a positive way and present a positive image of Assange. Do you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, I don't. I don't see why Assange would be portrayed negatively. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that would just be a, 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 a partisan thing, and which you know the, the only establishment looks at him neg- negatively. Right. But coming up this hour, the great Ted Rawl, artist, cartoonist, and uh, bon vivant, Ted Rawl will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And Rod, take us to the boom. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. Okay, so let's talk more about the cinema thing, then go to Elon. Uh, Lee, I got, I, got, I got a little bit of news for you. Go for it. Uh, the, the, the reporter that we played that clip, uh, his name's Simon, just to, to clarify, uh, Simon said he's going to come on the show. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Good job, Rod. Okay, yeah, so, so uh, we're going to stick it to uh, KJ, KJP, uh, Corinne Jump here, for not giving, not giving my man any time to talk. Right. I was just saying, let's bring him on, then cut him off and hang up on him. So, <laughs> so he feels like, why did I get in this career? So let's go to a clip. Let's go to another clip here. 
let's talk about uh, Brittany Griner because we talked about it a little bit yesterday. But th- since then, there's a, a bit of controversy. And it's more than a bit. So the Biden administration lied and said, we could show, we had waited, we were given one choice. Do you want Brittany Griner or no one? Uh, Jean Pierre said that. You heard that, right, Rod? Yeah, they've all been repeating that line. It was whether one American or no, or no American. Now, in fact, what happened was Russia gave them a choice. Do you want Waylon or Griner? They gave them a choice. And they chose Griner. Now, whatever you think, do you agree with that choice? And some would say, if Waylon was a spy, they had more of an obligation to get him back. Does that make sense, Rod? Right, exactly, yeah. Uh, I agree. If you, I mean, it seems, to, it seems to me, I mean, I don't have any proof, but, you know, just with the multiple passports he had, it seems like he, he was a spy for America. And also, they've repeatedly said about Brittany Griner, she was illegally detained. She was not illegally detained. So even if you think the sentence for her was too harsh, and I would agree with that, and if you want to argue that in general, sentences for marijuana are too harsh. I'm with you. If you have a petition, I'll sign it. But it is a lie to say that she was illegally detained. She was caught red-handed or green-handed, I guess, with a vape cart. So am I saying anything controversial there, Rod, factually? Uh no, that's all a fact. And there's a, there's another piece of this that a, a lot of people don't know, but a, a NBA player who played for in DC for the Wizards, uh, Gilbert Arenas, made a or he was a, uh, interviewed and asked about this whole incident, and he said, and you know, this is this is basketball in the sports world, so I believe that I believe him. He said that this isn't Brittany Griner's first time getting in trouble over there. And it seems like this is a culmination. And I, I, the, my question is. Uh, the Russian media, they don't, it seems like they don't like to gossip and put things out there. But I feel like eventually we'll find out that Brittany Griner has been in trouble in Russia before. And this is a culmination. Of and also, no such was tried on trafficking charges. Would it be beyond the realm of possibility to think that she may have been bringing a cart over to Russia to give or sell somebody? Does it make sense, Rod? Well, she's she's popular over there, so yeah, you know, she probably has some girlfriends over there, and hey, you know, it's probably hard for them as Russian citizens, and she's a celebrity, you know. So I could see that, you know, giving it to another girl uh, to get to get in favor with her. Because you know, weed makes a good gift. I'll put it like this: not in this case, it didn't work out for Brittany. So don't it does not make a good gift for people in Russia, but it makes a nice gift. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, it makes for a great night too, as well. So you know, I can see, like I said, like uh, like you said, yeah, I can see her giving to somebody or planning to give it to somebody. And it's easier than carrying a big bottle of Glossier or vodka or something. It's a lot easier. It fits in your pocket. So I think that I'm not surprised, but the the Biden administration saying that she was illegally detained is a lie. I, I, again. You can tell the truth and still oppose the sentence she got, and I do. 
And by the way, I'm not fired for saying that. No, sir. But the Biden administration chose her over Paul Whelan. And then did you see what they did? NBC initially reported the story correctly on Twitter and linked to it on Twitter. And then Jordan Chantel, a writer I know, he used to be at Breitbart, knows that NBC took down their original reporting and self-censored. They self-changed the narrative. You saw that, right, Rod? Yeah, that's two stories uh, within almost a month's time, I guess you could say, because uh, uh, the Paul Pelosi, they took down the, the original reporting on that as well. That's exactly right. They take down one set of facts that seems factual and well-reported, and then they don't apologize and say, you notice they didn't say, we made an error about the Paul Pelosi story or about this one. They didn't say, we got it wrong. That's error correction. I'm in favor of that. But did they correct an error or they corrected a narrative? I would say they clearly corrected the narrative because if they were collecting, forgive me, if they were correcting an error, I think they would say that. Do you agree with me, Rod? Yeah, for sure. And that's why they suspended uh, the uh, the reporter who did the NBC uh, NBC report. And um, I'm pretty sure whoever put that first uh, information out there, of, they gave it either or for Paul Whelan and Brittany Graham. I'm pretty sure that person's going to get suspended or fired as well. Now, so let's go to the clip. We got Putin talking about the Griner case. So let's hit that. The Federal Security uh, Bureau and um, agency, and uh, the, they are responsible for all that. They are continuing to have contacts uh, with the various intelligence services, and uh, everything is possible, of course. Uh, but this specific uh, result was um, this specific victory was a result of uh, hard work, and uh, we will certainly. We're certainly eager to continue to work uh, with our uh, counterparts um, uh, in the future. Now, if it's whether we could consider this as a uh, prelude to uh, improving our dialogue with uh, the U.S. on other aspects, on other matters, that's not something that we specifically intended to do from the outset. Mm. I don't think we could just go from these talks, from these negotiations to uh, resolving some other matters. But this does create some kind of a different atmosphere. Maybe that will yield some positive results. Now, as for the contacts between the various intelligence services, uh, the CIA and the uh, and others, that was not our initiative. That was initiative of the American side. President Biden uh, proposed that we did that. And... Um, we didn't expect those talks to result in anything too positive. They were just business as usual. We have agreed to continue to uh, talk in the future. And I would say, actually, the way the Biden administration handled this, lying about it, about Whelan versus Greiner, is an example of why Vladimir Putin called it the empire of lies. We we did not act honorably. You agree with that, Rod? The U.S. did not act honorably. Yeah, for sure. I definitely I definitely agree with that, Lee. Um, you know, uh, 
you know, Putin's faced a lot this week. You know, he's also commented on uh, Merkel's admission, and he was uh, he said he was surprised that that, uh, that 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 she would make this admission, and that was always her intention. So, you know, he's he's had a lot on his plate. Yeah, exactly right. But uh, you know, I don't expect it to change relationships between the U.S. and Russia at all, because the U.S. has proven itself to be the empire of lies once again. They're even lying about this story multiple ways. First off, saying that she was illegally detained. She wasn't. Second off, saying we were given a choice, Reiner or nothing. That's not what Russia told him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, uh, also, you know, one thing that occurred to me about this I was talking to a friend of mine who is Russian, okay, and I have not looked into this, but this guy they traded him for, Victor Boot, apparently, I, I know this won't shock you, Rod, if I told you the Western narrative on Victor Boot was a bunch of lies, would you be shocked? No, no. Uh, you know, I brought this up to you back when you were on Fault Lines Lee, a couple of years ago. Um uh, probably I think around, I forget why this was brought up, but I, uh, yeah, you know, when I watched the movie, I looked into it and I saw 60 minutes, I did a story on him and there's all this FBI and CIA people around. And when I saw that, I was like, ah, uh, this doesn't seem like, you know what I mean? Once you just start seeing all these FBI and CIA people on 60 minutes trying to make him seem like, you know, this, you know, they call like, uh, people are saying online, what, what makes him so notorious if he's a gun trafficker, you know, and he's working with the U S so it's just. Uh, they created a narrative on him and they made a movie surrounding it. And also, they're talking about a lot of stuff with him. The big black mark against him is he's an arms dealer. He's always called that. He's an arms dealer. Well, arms dealing is not illegal because if it were, the executives of Lockheed Martin and Raytheon would all be in jail. Am I right? Is Raytheon an arms dealing organization? For sure, for sure. I mean, they're all they're all involved with this whole Ukraine. I mean, they're openly involved uh, with this uh, arming Ukraine. Um, so yeah, you know, like that's why I say they they create a narrative like he's he's a notorious arms dealer. But we have arms dealers here too. So what's are they notorious as well? But then they'll say, well, Victor Boot sold to Al Qaeda, and I don't know that, but let's go with that. The U.S. sold to Ukrainian Nazis billions of dollars of, of arms to Ukrainian Nazis who have a kill list. I would say, who would you say is worse? I know it's, it's like saying, you know, Hitler versus Satan. I know it's like saying that. But who is worse, Al-Qaeda or Ukraine? The Kiev regime, the Kiev Nazis. The Banderas. Oh, That's a tough question, Lee. Uh, but I would say I would have to say, well, they're, they're both doing it to their, their own people. Um, but I would have to say, just because of the time we're in, I'd have to say Ukraine that, that they're, they're worse. People say that. Well, uh, e even if you go along with it completely, people will say Al Qaeda killed three thousand people on nine eleven, and uh, Ukraine killed over three thousand people. But they did it over eight years. Does that make it better? No, not not at all, Lee. And uh, you know, we've also we've 
as America, not me and you, because I know I'm not with any of this, but uh, we've been helping, aiding them, you know, the Soros and uh, the Clinton-Obama administration, now the Biden administration, uh, even the Trump administration looked a little bit as well. So um, it's just uh, it's very unfortunate that we have so much to do with this. But every time they bring a boot in the news, knows they knows this. Pay attention. Look how they talk about them. They they're not describing events that are in and of itself illegal. Saying he is an arms dealer is not like saying he's a convicted murderer or he's a rapist. Arms dealing is not illegal. And once I started, once my friend pointed that out to me, I started hearing it everywhere. That's the way Victor Boot is always described as an arms dealer, but they never question a premise. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, I, I agree with that, Lee. It's 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 just it's just a narrative around him, and it's uh, you know he's been interviewed. Uh, actually, uh, Caleb uh, Caleb Moppin interviewed him about uh, two years ago. I was going to grab that clip, but it got corrupted, and you know he's just pretty much speaking about how they're just saying these lies about him and they keep repeating them and you know, but, but the fact that he's going out there is why I work with all these countries so everyone's you know what I mean everyone's got dirty hands well, America's just trying to you know say no no not us that provides a perfect reason to bring Caleb on Caleb's doing interviews again he was taken out by a yeah I was speaking to him tax. I was speaking I was speaking to him today yeah so let's bring Caleb on he talked about I, I would love to Get Caleb because Caleb's a very honest guy, and he's a very good journalist. And Caleb would have insights on Victor Boot that I would love to get on the show. So, again, I'm not going to defend Victor Boot. I haven't looked into it enough, but I'm going to say that America is the empire of lies, and so they're not going to put uh, a narrative out about the guy that's positive. They're not going to mention anything positive. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. So let's go to another clip. Let's go to one about the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. We talked with them before. I, I, The ADL is a spinoff of B'nai B'rith. B'nai B'rith is a Jewish secret society. I brought it up with David Icke. But B'nai B'rith is the equivalent of the Knights of Columbus or Doyus. Who am I thinking of? Dan Brown talked about him. What's the Italian secret society? Opus Dei. Forgive me. Forgot about it. Opus Dei. The ADL is equivalent we know secret societies exist. For instance, Skull and Bones at Yale, right? So in the same way, the Jewish secret society has been high breath. And the ADL was spun off during a case called the Leo Frank case that I've talked about a little bit before. But let's play this clip on what the ADL is being used for now. Hit it. So literally, we opened a center in Silicon Valley back in 2017. And the woman who runs it, she's an ex-Facebook executive. I have software engineers and data scientists working at ADL. We're monitoring all this stuff. And we're working with all the platforms, by the way, Google and YouTube and 
Meta and Twitter and Reddit and Steam and Amazon, all these companies. From like Apple to Zoom, we work with all of them, okay? That's relevant because we've been working with Twitter now for real, since it was founded. We work with the old regime, working with the new regime. Now, that doesn't do my heart good because the ADL are notorious censors. And what they, l- let me ask this, Rod. Let's talk about Kanye for a second. Did Kanye make statements that you think helped the cause of Nazis or that helped the cause of anti-Semites? Or do you think actually, it, I, what I'm saying is Kanye having free speech did not make me, I didn't listen to anything Kanye said and said, yeah, you know what? I hate Jews. Did you or anybody you know, Rod, listen to Kanye and said, he's got a good point. Jews, I'm going to go find one and beat one up. No, no, not at all. Uh, I didn't. I, I haven't seen that. Um, I've just seen a lot of people questioning the same thing. They've been questioning for years about you know, these heads of these music execs and then the music they're pushing out and things like that. But as far as what he, he was talking about, cancel culture, because he did mention cancel culture and he did uh, point to the fact that it was, you know, you know, connecting it to, to Judaism or Jewish people, Jewish, some certain Jewish people. This is Jeff Grant, Green, Grandblood, or however you say his last name. Um, and he's openly saying he's, you know, the ADLs pretty much runs cancel culture and Steam's a, a video game platform. So, it, it, they have the whole spectrum. And the ADLU is, I think, helps perpetuate the idea that this is a Jewish conspiracy. A major Jewish organization calling for the banning of free speech, that it does not, not represent American values at all. And yeah, actually, um, they, but you know what? Somebody on uh, uh, on Twitter put, looked up the actual incidents of anti-Semitism, like physical attacks or things like that, off their own website. I think it was only a, a thousand or eleven hundred uh, last year, uh, and, and in the most states that had it was New York and California. So, I mean, where's that? Where, that's most liberal places. So, and I would say Kanye didn't say anything that caused people to want to go out and hurt Jews. But Israel, Yaakov Shapiro's point is out. Every time Israel does an attack on Palestinians, and particularly Palestinian children, it creates a lot of anger among Palestinians and people who support their cause. And, you know, I'll put it like this. The attacks in Paris in the Jewish jelly, what was that about? Was it about Kanye or about things Israel had done? Rod, that's not really a question because it's too easy. But you see my point. No, I see your point exactly, Lee. Uh, You know, I've been seeing clips all over the uh, all over social media of people who've went over to Qatar for the World Cup. And, you know, uh, you know, people. There was a couple guys who come from Israel, and they, had, and they were they were talking to people, and they had to start lying and saying they weren't from Israel because people would automatically, uh, they wouldn't get any physical or violent. They just stop talking to them or say, "No, I don't want, I don't want to associate with you because of what you guys do to Palestine." So, you know, well, and and Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro's dealt with that. He's talked about. It. He's an anti. He's been a guest on the show many times. Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro is an anti-Zionist 
rabbi and for religious reasons. And if if someone saw him on the subway after an attack by Israel on Palestinians and yelled at Yaakov, he would say, look, I don't support Israel. I'm not a supporter of Israel. And they'd be stunned by that. Because if you're Jewish, you're automatically, I'll put it like this, if someone's black, should I assume they support the policies of, let's say, Kenya or Nairobi or an African nation? See my point, Rod? It's absurd. But if someone's Jewish and looks Jewish, is wearing a yarmulke, has a beard like Yaakov, you assume that they're supportive of Israel. And that's because Israel supports that narrative. Israel supports the idea that Israel is a nation of the Jews. And Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro says, slow down. You don't represent me at all. Right? So if a guy's going to, if a guy's mad about a Palestinian attack that Israel did, and they get on the subway and they see Yaakov, they're unlikely to say, wait, are you a pro-Zionist? Or anti-Zionist. Does that make sense, Ron? Yeah, it, make, it makes total sense, Lee. Uh, it's something that is uh, somewhat complicated. I guess now with more information, it's less complicated um, to understand. But it, it's something that uh, for just the average person not knowing anything and just, you know, just imagine, you know, you're in New York, uh, you you know, the support in, for, for Palestine in certain communities, you see it and, you know, uh, and what they say, and you know, they just point at you know, like you know, like rabbis walking the street, certain parts of New York, and so that's how they get you know, just that association, like oh, you know, look at this Jewish person, and they associate them with Israel. Right, it, it, it's shocking, and it's why Yaakov's a great guest on the show, and we appreciate him being a guest, and I appreciate his friendship. So let's take a short break. When we come back, we're talking to Ted Rawl, artist author, and Bob Vivant, Ted Rawl, up next on The Backstory. And we're back. And Washington, D.C., we're on your radio at 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Joined now by author, artist, and Bobby Vaughn from an island off the coast of the United States, Ted Rawl. Hey, Ted, how are you doing? I'm really good, Lee. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So, we're talking a lot about free speech today. And, and by the way, it's fun having you on at the end of the week. A big news week. Let me ask you a broad question, Ted. What mm. do you think of the Elon Musk Twitter files? We've had two installments, two episodes. For some of it's binge watching. But what do you think in gen- general of the Twitter files, Ted? Well, I think the uh, Twitter files uh, reveal, um, you know, government interference uh, directly and indirectly 
with a presidential election on a uh, scale that is uh, appalling. And uh, I, it's the, the willingness, it, re, it, it unmasks this sordid relation, a sordid relationship between uh, government officials uh, and po- po- you know, high-ranking political officials like you know, members of the DNC and, the Biden, and uh, you know, future President Biden and former Vice President Biden um, and, and Twitter. And, uh, and obviously, by extension, you know these same relationships existed at Facebook and other companies and uh, at you know, traditional uh, mainstream media companies. I think it's a big deal. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm very happy that Elon Musk re, you know, uh, agreed to release this information. Um, and it's also extremely revealing that mainstream media companies that were complicit in the first place think they can still stonewall this. They're still, they're still acting as if this is, there's no there there. It's a nothing burger, as they say. And it's like, oh, it's, it's a big something. They're, 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 they couldn't be more wrong. Uh, so, no, I think it really matters. And they can't deny the truth forever. And what's your opinion of Matt Taibbi? What do you think of him as a journalist, Ted? Um, first of all, I you know full disclosure. I know Matt. I like Matt. Uh, I, I've uh, known him for a number of years. Uh, I think he's an excellent journalist. Um, and my, uh, I have always found him to be scrupulously fair, thorough, and serious. Uh, so uh, I don't think I think his work. Uh, you know, here today, everyone can screw up at some point, but as far as I can tell, he never has uh, in any significant way. He's a he's as good as it gets. And l- let me say this: since you know Matt, I didn't know that, but uh, I don't think he'll care. But my friend Andrew Breitbart told me personally before he died that he considered Matt Tybee a very good journalist because Andrew, you know, people forget that Andrew was a digital journalism pioneer. He worked for Drudge during Lewinsky. His uh, Huffington Post was Andrew's idea. So as a a media critic, Matt Tybee was someone who Andrew recommended and thought was a good example of an independent journalist. But then after Andrew died, Matt wrote what I consider a, a smear hit piece, you know, against Andrew. After he died. So that's why I said I don't think he'll care. But he's someone who I, I agree uh, that Matt's a good journalist. What do you think of Elon's strategy of releasing the material initially through journalists? Do you think he should have just put it out there for the people to look at? I actually like the approach of having it come out initially through journalists. I like that approach. What say you, Ted? Well, I think it is for him. It was probably a practical issue. Um, you know, it's if he released it himself, he would have to assign uh, people inside Twitter to do it. Uh, they wouldn't really know the correct way to do it. They're not writers. They're not journalists. They they wouldn't know how to vet the information, how to sort it, how to explain what it all meant in a simple, cohe- cohesive, and coherent way, the way that a professional writer would do. So I don't even think that was an option. I think, uh, you know, this, this it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want to learn how to fix my car. That's why I hire a mechanic. Um, you know, it's it's the same thing. Um, he, he This is like, you know, when you need a journalist, you, you call a journalist. 
uh, you don't do it yourself. So, uh, you know, giving it, I think what happened with Taibi is uh, Musk talked about how he wanted to release it and Taibi just took him up on it and asked him for it and said, oh, if you want to send it to me, I'll take it. And Musk was like, all right, that's my understanding of the, of what happened. So it's, uh, you know, I, th- I think it was a very straightforward thing. Musk intended to release this information all along uh, when he had a, uh, a journalist who was willing to look at it and treat it seriously. Um, you know, Musk took him up on it. I don't know if Musk vetted Taibi or not, but uh, he, he, if, you know, whether he did or not, he, he made a good choice. Well, he's been a well-known journalist for a long time, so it, it vetted him in a sense that I, I'm sure he knew who Matt Taibbi was and the great work he did at Rolling Stone, and now is an independent journalist. So, I, I, and again, I didn't know you, you knew Matt, but so you may be extra disgusted. How disgusted are you by the strategy of attacking the story by attacking Matt Taibbi. I saw some vicious attacks against Matt Taibbi, and it's disgusting. What say you, Ted? Uh, well, uh, yeah, obviously, I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, and I would say this, I think, you, Lee, you would you know this about me so far. I would say this if, if Taibbi was, uh, you know, ideologically opposed, if he was on the right, I would uh, it, I would say the same thing. It's, it's disgusting. Um, I think... You know, for whatever um, the optimist in me knows, that Taibi is bulletproof. They can do their worst. This is his. This you know, the criticisms are only making his critics look stupid and exposing them further. So you know, if uh, not speaking for Matt, I would say bring it on. <laughs> you know, it's like you guys just look like idiots. The work speaks for itself. It's solid as usual. Um, you know, this is. Uh, there's nothing here. It's not like, you know, it, Matt didn't need this to make a career for himself. So, you know, at this point, I, you know, had, there's a German word called Freundschaman, where it's that awkward feeling you get inside you when you see someone making a fool out of himself. That's the feeling I get when I see people go after Taibi because they know they can't impeach the story. So... By the way, the Germans have a way with words to com- express complex states. You know, zeitgeist is another example. The D- D- German language seems to have. Have you noticed that, Ted? What, what I'm talking about? The yes, I Germans have. There's even have lots there's of words. Even, yeah, yeah. Like there's that. I forget. There's a word for um, one of those words. I, I need to look it up after we hang up uh, about that feeling you get where. Uh, after you have a conversation or some kind of conflict, they call it like an elevator or a stairwell moment where you feel like you you, you think of the zinger you should have used at the time, but you didn't. It didn't. It didn't occur to you, and you're just like, ah, oh, darn! I should have. You know, I should have said that. Uh, they, there's a word for that, and that needs a word. Yes, I I, I think that's right. They they have a way of putting a word to describe something. That in, once you hear it, you go, oh, yeah, that's life. Schadenfreude is another one. They're big words, so they, you know, sometimes hard to pronounce. But it's props to Germans for that. And by the way, not props to them for the Nazi thing. 
So <laughs> I was no, not that, you know, I, I'm fair. But uh, but Ted, speaking of not fair, let's talk about the Brittany Grimer, Paul Whelan conspiracy. And I'll start with the guy they traded him for. Victor Boot is called all over the media, a Russian arms dealer, as though that's illegal. And we don't, our arms dealers aren't in prison. They're in fancy restaurants on Sundays for brunch because they all work at Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and other arms dealers. What is with calling, you know, since when is being an arms dealer not something that America approves of? They don't like freelance arms dealers. They don't like retailers. But wholesalers, they seem fine with. What say you about arms dealers, Ted? Yeah, you know, I've always thought that was an interesting observation, sort of the idea that, like, you know, the state can murder a million Iraqis or two million Vietnamese, and, uh, you know, that's not a problem. In fact, you can win a medal for doing that. But if you get promoted to general, uh, but if you're, uh, you know, if you're if you kill someone on your own just because you don't like the cut of their jib, uh, then you know that that's that's a crime. Uh, you go to prison for that. Freelance murder is illegal. State murder is sanctioned always. So it's a uh, it, it's a paradox. Um, and you know, the U.S. is, of course, obviously. Uh, the U.S. government is the largest, and and contractors are the big is by far the biggest arms weapons dealer in the world. Uh, it exceeds uh, its arms sales exceed the next I think eight countries combined, and that includes some very major arms producers like France, uh, China, the Russia, uh, the U.K. So all of those countries combined, which themselves tell, send sell a lot of weapons. Uh, are, are they pale compared to the United States? Um, so yeah, so uh, this guy, uh, he you know who 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 was uh, released traded for uh, Brittany Griner is uh, you know he's a freelancer and I mean you know part of it also I always wondered about the standing of the U.S. government in this case. They lured him. He's Russian. They lured him to Thailand, and then they arrested him. Um, you know, in Thailand, uh, what exactly is the standing of the U.S. government to prosecute him for anything? Well, he's Russian. That's a jewel right there. <laughs> right. Well, that'll keep the courts busy. Russia's a big country. And and as Raj pointed out, he was played by Nick Cage in a movie. So. Perhaps I should trade him for Nick Cage. Now, let's talk about it. They traded him for Brittany Griner. And they could have traded him for Paul Whelan. You've been following that controversy at all, Ted? I have, yes. That's been, uh, in, conservatives in particular have been very upset, saying that uh, Paul Whelan is a Marine who was left on the battlefield and uh, the, the Biden administration didn't care about him. I'm, I'm I'm very well familiar with it. It's, uh, I think, ridiculous. Uh, I think it's an apples and oranges comparison. But you know, that's what's that's what's going on. Well, so, but I think the big thing is that the Biden administration lied about it. I think it shows that they are nervous about something, and that they realize that their decision to free Brittany Griner 
over Paul Whelan would not go over well with some people. What say you, Ted? Well, I think that Paul Whelan wasn't going to be on offer uh, by the Russians uh, and might may never be because, uh, you know, I mean, look, uh, it's hard to say, right? I mean, like, until you look under the hood of, like, uh, of the evidence that the Russians had against him. But, you know, on the surface, the speculation is he just doesn't look like an innocent man. Um, you know, he, he really does. This is a man with a, you know, a dark past. He was dishonorably discharged. He was charged with a number of felon, very serious felonies. And it really does seem like he wasn't in Russia for tourism or for, uh, you know, anything innocuous. Um, you know, he was... Well, I believe I mean, we have seems- from Russia that he was offered. They could have taken him or Brittany Griner. And NBC pulled down that story after reporting it. I think Russia's confirmed oh, really? that, that they would, would have really? let Whalen go. Yes. Oh, that's super, that's super interesting. Um, you know, but uh, that's, that changes things. Um, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised to hear that. I, I would think the Russians would want to hold on to him. But um, so, OK, I'll, I'll have to digest on that. And I, that's new to me. Yeah. Now, apparently that that's the case that it's because I agree with you just on the, you know, merits of the cases itself. I don't really have an opinion. I can see both cases. But the fact that the Biden administration lied about it and Russia seems to confirm that they were lying about it. Well, it wouldn't be the first time. I mean, the thing about the thing is that, I mean, they are very different cases. I mean, by all accounts, right, everybody in Russia knows and in the U.S. knows that Griner is a woman who made a stupid mistake. She likes Russia. She wasn't intending to traffic drugs or anything. She just forgot to that she was carrying this stuff in her bag. She traveled all the time. Uh, you know, I totally believe that. I think everyone believes that. Um, Paul Whelan, on the other hand, you know, I'm just a tourist. Don't mind me. Maybe. But, you know, the military background doesn't exactly make me increase the odds to me that he wasn't guilty of espionage. Yes, I, I agree. I've said it. I think he's guilty of espionage. By the way, you're talking to, I guess, the one person who doesn't believe Brittany Griner's story. I don't b- believe it offhand. And in part is because the Biden administration keeps saying she was illegally detained. I think she very well... I don't see anything in the facts that I know that would preclude her having been bringing a vape cart over for a friend of hers or something uh, like that. It's certainly possible. But if so, I mean, look, it was a, a, it was either a really stupid mistake or it was an intentional crime. But let's face it, relatively minor. I think we can, you know, I mean, we're talking about small quantity of a not very potent drug and Russia has a zero tolerance policy, but you know, the world is kind of changing. I could see in 10 years, Russia legalizing marijuana, you know, I mean, it's the word that's, that is changing. So um, that that's happening all over the world now. And, you know, whereas espionage, you know, you can be shot for that. It's, 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 it's very serious. So it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, 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 either to me, if I were, Russian, I would be like, you know, I'm not going to be as upset about watching, uh, you know, a silly woman who brought, you know, a little bit of drugs into the country 
as much as someone who spied against the motherland. And and Ted, let me disagree with something, but I'll try to help you. If you're saying it's a not very potent drug, you need to talk to your dealer because they're not doing something right. If you're not getting a potent version, I can take you some places. My <laughs> suggestion would be try edibles. So that's the way to get it more potent. But uh, Ted Rawl, l- let me ask you, tomorrow, tomorrow is a, a national, uh, International Human Rights Day, and there are big protests in favor of Assange. Have you been impressed by the Assange community's commitment to activism? They have not given up activism. And I think that led to New York Times coming out and changing its position on Assange. Ted, you've watched a lot of activism. What say you? I agree. You know, the word, the key word here is sustained. Whenever people say, what's it going to take to affect change on any issue? I always say sustained, strong, sustained protest. Um, And that's tough. You know, I mean, that's that's always been a challenge for uh, people on the left to keep their attention and their energy level dedicated to any issue that they really care about. And that is just not, um, you know, and so with Assange, I mean, it's been sustained uh, for for years now. Um, I will say, I, I think the Times kind of like tried to be Weasley. It wasn't like they were in favor of his extradition to the United States, but they were kind of like, well, on the one hand this, on the one hand that, maybe. They didn't want to come down and really treat him like a fellow news publisher, which is, of course, what he is and what he was. And um, I think, uh, I do suspect, and this is rank speculation, but I do suspect that his uh, Assange's fading health has caused a bit of a panic, uh, you know, on 8th Avenue and 41st Street at the Times headquarters uh, and other places where, uh, you know, the media moguls have kind of thought, like, this guy could die in English custody, awaiting, awaiting um, transfer to the United States on trumped-up charges that were filed by Donald Trump. And people are going to come and they're going to look at us and they're going to ask why we didn't stand up. Uh, you know, this is going to be our Martin Niemöller moment. I think, I, I think they're scared of what, of what would happen. So they, they realize they have to step up belatedly, very belatedly. Yeah, you brought it up the last time you were on. I thought that was a very good point. And I think that could be what's motivating the Times. Now, uh, in other news, Senator Christian Sima is now independent. Uh, and I'm in favor of that in in the sense that Christian Sima is like Joe Manchin. She's one of those senators who's clearly not a lockstep Democrat. And I think saying she's independent uh, is in part a career move on her part, but I think it's accurate. And saying she's going to be caucusing with the Democrats, it puts her in a category like Bernie Sanders. Uh, I think on issues like abortion, let's take that. I think Christian Sima is pro-choice, and for that reason, would not become a Republican. And that, but what do you think of Christian Simmons' move, Ted? 
Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm of multiple minds. I, I agree with you from a truth and advertising point of view, Lee. I mean, you know, look, uh, this does reflect who she really is. I mean, the truth is that uh, before the uh, midterms, Democrats did not have a 50-vote Senate. They had they had 48 votes in the Senate, Senate plus a uh, sort of a the, the Mansion Cinema micro block of two votes that they could get sometimes and sometimes not. Um, that's so. That said, it's fair. Um, I do have problems with the fraud element of this, which is, you know, she ran as a Democrat uh, for a six-year term as a U.S. senator from Arizona, and Arizona Democrats and and swing voters who crossed the aisle to vote for her elected a Democrat. They didn't elect an independent. Uh, so it seems to me like maybe uh, she should have done this uh, two years from now, uh, you know, before announcing that if she's planning to run for re-election. But it seems to me like a cynical move, like to get it out of the way now, to give her an on-ramp to a re-election campaign and basically let people stop being angry about it as they focus on other things or maybe note that her record her record hasn't really changed significantly by the time she runs for re-election. It was a tactical move. I also don't like, as a former loyal Democrat, <laughs> I don't like the fact that she... Uh, you know, did this two days after the Democrats picked up uh, that seat in Georgia. Got they get to number fifty-one on the scoreboard, and then she makes it all about her and sucks all the wind out of the Democrats' sail. It's like, oh, you know, you win one, you lose one. Poof, poof. It's like, you know, it's like it. It really is. It's a very demoralizing move for the Democratic Party, and it makes me wonder if she hates the Democrats and there's some kind of animus motivating her. Um, it's now that's all the negative stuff, I suppose, but, uh, you know, it's her choice to make, um, it's, I, I think she's kind of a, an, a, a, an annoying person <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, you know, I kind of like people who have sturdier ideological, uh, foundations than she does. And, uh, so that, that might be the basis of it. Well, l let's talk about Georgia for a second. I think one of the lessons that we've learned from this last election cycle is that celebrity is not enough. Trump voted, he endorsed two candidates who are celebrities, well-known famous people, Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker. The, the, those are candidates. And I think after 2016, a lot of people went, well, the trick is get a celebrity. But I think this shows that being a celebrity is not enough. And being a celebrity that is endorsed by Trump is not enough. What say you, Ted? Uh, yes, I would agree with that. Although, you know, look, being a celebrity uh, probably got him as close as he got, right? I mean, you know, if the same dude uh, was not a star football player in a state that absolutely worships football, and let's say he was a guy who had not been endorsed by Donald Trump in a state that very much likes Donald Trump. You know, would he have gotten 48 or whatever, 48 percent ish of the vote in the runoff? Would he have gotten 48.5 or whatever he did in the general? Uh, would he have gotten the nomination in the first place? I mean, I'd say no. I mean, he was a terrible candidate. I mean, he, you know, he, he doesn't speak well. Uh, and he's got, you know, major 
hypocrisy issues on an issue that the voters in that state really care about. You know, the, he, they really, here he is running as pro-life and he's paying for abortions not once but twice. And, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, it, I think he's just, I think, you know, just because he lost, I think there's a tendency for us to look and say, well, he lost, so, you know, that proves, you know, tr- celebrity doesn't matter or Trump doesn't matter. I'd say he got really, he did, he outperformed, he did better than, than he would have otherwise, so therefore the celebrity helped him and Trump helped him. So allow me to defend my position with nuance. That's why I said specifically, it's not enough. I think celebrity will get you a long way, but it's clearly, you can't rest on your laurels. You need to develop the other things that you need to win. Celebrities definitely have lost. Celebrities have definitely lost. Um, Look at Dr. Oz, big celebrity, and he speaks great. He spoke better than, you know, Fetterman. Uh, He still lost. So celebrity gets you, you know, it gets you into the game. You may not, you know, get, you may not be able to bring the the ball all the way down the field and score a touchdown, but, but, you know, they let you into play. Um, That's, uh, that's what it gives you. And, you know, that's not nothing. And as someone who barely survived a stroke, let me say that, Ted, that was a very ableist comment of you saying that Dr. Oz speaks better than Fetterman. Because how dare you be ableist, Ted? Well, he what do you think did of the, speak better than Fetterman. The, what, do you th- what do you think of the term ableist, by the way? As, you know, I think it's dorky. I think it's an example of where the, I'll call it woke language, whatever, goes too far. Now, what what say you, Ted? Um, you know, uh, I I think it has its place, but it's been radically overexpanded. So, for example, would it be ableist to uh, to hire uh, to not hire someone who is physically handicapped for a job for, like, say, a desk job that they could easily perform? Uh, just as well as someone who uh, was, you know, fully had all their physical, the quote-unquote normal physical stuff. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that would be, that is illegal, it's discrimination, it's immoral, and it should be. But, you know, I mean, for when you're talking about for something like politics, running for U.S. Senate, you know, we talked about this before, Lee. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, everybody, I still have concerns. I mean, uh, I'm sure that, like you, Fetterman will continue to uh, recover, and he'll, and hopefully he'll he'll do great, and he'll be just fine very soon. But you know, it's the, the timing is the issue here, right? With uh, he was, could he? I think the voters of Pennsylvania had the right to consider the fact that he was suffering the after the after effects of a stroke uh, when he was running against Dr. Oz, and and that's totally fair to include. Uh, you know, it's not ableist to say, like, for example, is it heightist to say that someone who's short is probably not going to do as well in the NBA as someone who's tall? Um, you know, that's just an observation of simple fact. No, right. And the most, uh, by the way, the most ableist sport, heightist, is tetherball, where the rules are tall guy wins. But let me, <laughs> let me. 
launch an ableist complaint about something art related. I'm really mad about web designers. And as now I'm complaining, not as a person who had a stroke, but as a person who has bad eyesight. What is with web designers designing lots of pages now? It's a very hip graphic look, and you don't know this, Ted, with gray letters on a gray background, slightly darker gray on a light gray background. Have you seen that aesthetic look, look on the internet, Ted? You know, I have. Um, the Washington Post website does that sometimes. Uh, I have seen it. And it's really bad. I mean, so I live in New York, in Manhattan, in New York City. And um, one of the things I noticed is that they use, for the signage, they use uh, Helvetica. And it's white lettering on a black background. And that's not an accident. It's not like an aesthetic choice just because it looks cool, which it does look cool. Um, it's because right. hel- it's because... Uh, white on black is literally the easiest to read. Uh, so uh, for people who have any kind of uh, impaired eyesight, their best shot at being able to see that they're at Times Square or 14th Street is to, is to, is to see the signage that way. The web is no different. I mean, white on black is best, but uh, black on white is second best. Um, and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's just bad design. I mean, you want people to be able to read it. I don't care how cool it looks. You have to be able to read it. A friend of, a friend of mine taught, uh, who I worked with at Access Hollywood, he taught at Art Center of Design in California. And he used to tell his students, contrast, contrast is an important value in graphic design. So you don't need to do white and black, but doing gray on gray is very bad. Ted, Always great to talk to you. A great conversation with Ted Rawl. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, Ted. And you thanks too. so much to Comrade Missy and all of our great callers. We'll see you Monday here on. We provide a lot of contrast on the show on the backstory.